Well, it's uh, good to be with everyone. My name is Pastor Joseph Bianco. Uh, as you can see, I am not uh, Dave Snoke, who is supposed to be preaching this evening. He's, he is ill, um, so I am filling in for him. However, we are still using half of this text. Um, so we're going to be in Isaiah 9, um, verses 1 through 7. Also, this is our first... Um, sermon of our Advent series. So you'll notice we have Advent candles here, um, very uh, wonderfully lit. And uh, those candles actually are going to represent our four sermons. And those candles also traditionally represent four themes, uh, hope, love, joy, and peace. And so today, in thinking about hope, we're thinking about a prophetic text, which brings us to Isaiah 9. So let me um, say a prayer, and then we'll read. Our response will be, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to come under your word. Lord, we pray uh, that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, This may be a familiar text for many of us. I pray that you would help us to see it uh, anew, that the uh, coming of our Messiah, this time of Advent, Um, would not grow old or stale, uh, but would refresh our souls as we uh, feel the weightiness that the Savior um, has come. Father, thank you for the mercy and grace we have through Jesus Christ, and we pray uh, your blessing as we read your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to be starting um, on page six of your bulletin. If you go all the way down to the last paragraph, you'll see a little 9-1, and we're going to start right there. And uh, actually, I'm going to read um, just the verse before it, not printed in your bulletin. All right. So starting in, uh, this will be chapter eight, twenty-two. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Then picking up in 9.1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You've multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. So I had a counseling professor in seminary who taught us that there are two different kinds of contempt. And contempt, as we understand it here in verse 1, Uh, from the Hebrew, carries this idea of curse, of being dishonored or ashamed. So my professor explained that in counseling, uh, the kinds of contempt are first uh, self-contempt, and then contempt you have for someone else, or other-centered contempt. So self-contempt is what it sounds like. It's that voice in our head that we hear when uh, we speak lies, a voice that lies to us. Uh, The voice that tells us that we're stupid or that we're ugly or that we're not smart enough or capable enough for the job, that people don't like us or that we're not worthy of being loved. Uh, A quick story uh, with a twist that I heard from the radio. It went like this. Uh, There was a woman that was set up on a uh, blind date. And she hadn't been on a date in years and she was really nervous about going on this date. Uh, She was older, and she was afraid of the date. Um, She was self-conscious, and there were 10 minutes into dinner, and uh, she didn't know why, but the man decided that this dinner was over, and he got up and he left. And she heard these words. She heard the words, well, you're just too heavy. Your hips are too big. You're not interesting. And then he left. Now, what if I were to tell you that those words were not his words, but those were her own words? What we say to ourselves often is far worse than what we would ever say to another person. Now, other-centered contempt is the same thing, but it's directed towards other people. We think, you know, these things about those people, uh, that he or she is stupid or ugly or awkward or not worthy of our time, not intelligent enough for conversation are are too different from ourselves that they're not worth engaging with. Uh, Other-centered contempt is being unkind with people uh, because you're holding yourself above them. And honestly, uh, we see this the most in uh, the internet, uh, in the television. We hold other people in contempt because of the things they say, um, like in social media or in the news. And we see other-centered contempt in coming out in public shaming, in ridicule, not giving people the benefit of the doubt, not bearing with one another patiently, or speaking unkindly. Now, what I'll convince you of today is that in both situations, self-contempt or other-centered contempt, we are actually uh, incapable of changing ourselves. We are metaphorically stuck in darkness. Now, secular psychology will tell you Uh, to say some things to yourself, to just speak positively, and you won't have self-contempt. And those things can be helpful, but it's like putting a Band-Aid on a really deep wound. It's not going to heal it. You need someone from the outside to come and help you, to pull you from this contempt. You need a surgeon to come in and expertly heal what is uh, wounded. In the context of our passage, we can read that the reason Israel was 
uh, in contempt, in darkness, in gloom, and in anguish. Uh, The reason they were held in contempt was because of their sin. And it was God who held them in contempt. Earlier in the book of Isaiah, he compares Israel to a whore. He speaks of the unfaithfulness of Israel, that at one time she was full of justice, but now she is full of murderers. And so not only were they held in contempt because of their sin, but God allowed the Assyrians to invade them. The darkness of Assyria would sweep over the northern kingdom like a flood rising over the river banks and destroying a city. Darkness and gloom and anguish would cover the city. And this is what the prophet is referring to in verse 1, where it says Zebulun and Naphtali were the first uh, to be taken by Assyria. The text says that in the latter time he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. And he speaks of the latter time so certainly as if it were in the past. Out of Galilee and beyond will come the transforming power of God. Because of sin, God had a righteous and a holy contempt for an unrighteous and unholy people. But our contempt, your contempt and my contempt, is never righteous and holy. Who will deliver you and me from self-contempt or contempt we hold for other people? The text says that God will do this by his zeal and through his power and by his Son. Salvation will come from Jesus who began his ministry in Galilee. And the text says a child will be born and we know this child is Jesus. Uh, The text teaches us that God will turn Israel from their contempt and transform them for his glory. And he'll do this through the birth of an infant. And because of that infant, God is doing that same work in us. God will turn us from contempt and transform us for his glory. So I have one big idea for you to remember today. It's four words from contempt to glory. And uh, how will God make us someone um, for his glory? And the answer is by the light of his son, by the strength of his son, and the sacrifice of his son. So three points. So by the light of his son. So we read in verses 1 to 2 that the contempt that came upon Israel, um, first Zebulun and Naphtali, will in later times be transformed into glory through the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, or in Hebrew, um, Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, So the idea being that Isaiah is prophesying around 740 BC all the way uh, to the second coming of Christ. This is a big prophecy. Reminds me of other big prophecies, like in Philippians 2, where it says, one day every knee um, will bow at the, and confess the name of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And then in verse 2, we read immediately of darkness, deep darkness. Another translation is uh, the shadow of death. Now, contempt, uh, self-contempt, or other-centered contempt, will place you in a land of deep darkness. I know that many of you in this congregation have suffered from depression. Uh, many of us may suffer with anxiety or Maybe uh, you struggle with all kinds of fear, especially right now um, with a politically divided nation, racially divided, all sorts of conflicts in this world that threaten. Uh, But I want to point us to verse 2 at the end. It says that on those who were in deep darkness, a light has shone. When that light 
was shown in verse 3, the nations were multiplied and joy was increased as if there was a harvest or if there was a victory after war. Um, so I, uh, I was deer hunting and um, providentially I um, had something that had to bring me back early, which is why I'm here. <laughs> so that was, that was good. Um, but when you're deer hunting, you go out really early in the morning and before it's light and it's very dark and you bring a headlight so you know where you're going. And there was one time I was deer hunting and I went out in the morning with my headlight, but I came back in the dark and my headlight had burned out. And I was in a lot of trouble because um, I was in the Allegheny National Forest and if you've been in those deep valleys, when the sun goes down, it is like pitch black. And uh, I could not see my hand in front of my face. I mean, there's no moon, it was, it was very cloudy. And um, the only thing that actually got me out and kept me from just like sleeping there that night was um, my phone had a GPS. And what I did is I actually uh, followed the compass of the GPS and just went in a direction that I knew was like the general right direction until I hit a road that brought me back. Um, but I didn't, I couldn't see where I was going. I was thankful I had something um, to help me. Uh, so did the Israelites get themselves out of darkness? And the answer is no. Uh, a light shone on them. And we'll read in verses 6 to 7, that this light will come through a son. Because the son who is also God, one of his titles in verse 5, Almighty God, light comes with him. Now, Christmas can be a time, for many of us, of darkness. It's definitely a time of celebration, it's a time of joy, but uh, I know for many of you, family can be difficult. Maybe, maybe this is a year you've lost someone, um, like uh, our elder Joe was mentioning, um, and that they're not going to be with you this Christmas. Maybe you struggle uh, with holding a family member in contempt, and you don't want to see them this Christmas. But the reason we can have joy and the reason there's freedom from our contempt is because we are looking forwards to the birth of a Messiah, the birth of Jesus. And we're reminded in his birth that we are not left alone in that darkness. We're not stuck in the darkness. The Savior is coming. He is coming. And although the Assyrians are upon us and the darkness is great that night, will not last long, and the morning will soon be here. Or you have a GPS in your pocket. We're reminded that the Savior came into this world bringing light upon our contempt, our anguish, and our gloom. But how did he come? Well, he came in weakness. Um, now, it was a weakness that he chose, and we know uh, that he was actually very strong. So we're going to look at the strength of, his, of the Son uh, so let's read verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Uh, what do you do with someone who oppresses you? I think we've all experienced this uh, to various degrees. Oppression can certainly cause all kinds of contempt. You can feel the weight of oppression in this text, the yoke of his burden, the staff uh, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You can almost see it 
A man beating another man with a rod, pulling him with a staff, laying on him heavy weights. The text reminds the reader of two situations. Uh, the oppression of the Egyptians over Israel and the oppression of the Midianites in Judges 6-7. to So what happened to the Midianites? Uh, the Midianites were pressing in on Israel. Israel was scared and wanted to defend herself. And she came out with uh, 22,000 to fight. And yet God said to Gideon, it is too many. I reduce it to 10,000. And so he did. And again, God said, it's too many. And he told Gideon to reduce it to just 300. And he did. The text says the Midianites were as many as swarms of locusts, as many as all of the sand on the seashore. And Gideon was afraid, but God was doing this to show that it was not by the strength of Israel that they would be delivered from oppression, but it was by the strength of the Lord. And when God told them to invade, the Midianites fled far away. There was rejoicing and there were tears, and God used the weakness of Israel to show the strength of the Lord. Uh, the text reminds me in verse 4 of another story. It reminds me of the story of Corrie Ten Boom, who was held in a Nazi concentration camp, and she had every reason to have contempt for her enemies, for these Nazis. She had every reason to try to fight her way out of oppression, to strike a blow with a blow. But Corey chose not to. Instead, she prayed for her oppressors to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And she shared the gospel with her captors. She was kind to those who were wretched towards her. Now you who are oppressed, let me ask you this. Compare both of these stories, the Midianites, Corey Ten Boom, with the story of Jesus. How did Jesus break the burden of the oppressor? Did he do it with fists? Did he do it with shouts? Did he do it by publicly shaming or forcing into submission or passive aggressiveness or domineering? The way Jesus broke the oppressor was that he took the oppression on himself. He took our oppression on himself. He bore the worst of our oppression and it was heaped upon him on the cross. The way Jesus showed great strength wasn't by coming in the way that we think of a strong man, physically strong, with power. Rather, it was this text, for to us a son is given, a child is born. He came into this world in weakness and he died in weakness, God hanging, helpless on the cross. Now you and I know that God is really strong. We know that because you and I know that Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He was raised and that God is all powerful. We know that oppression, the oppression that was put on him, that it's your sin and my sin. And ultimately he would conquer that and come out victorious, being raised in glory. So for us, this means that although we may be oppressed, although it may feel like we are in deep darkness, we have to remember that this one who Isaiah is prophesying about will ultimately bear the greatest oppression, the deepest darkness, so that we will not bear it. And because Christ was oppressed on our behalf, we can look at our oppressors, and we can say, although I am in pain now, and although I may feel oppressed, you do not have power over me. 
because I was bought by the precious blood of Christ. There's no harm you can do to me that my Savior did not bear. There are no tears so great or struggles so deep that my Savior has not already broken me free. So look, don't believe for a minute that you can break the bonds of your own oppressor, but God can. And you can look to Him in your contempt, and you can look to Him in the darkness, and you can look to Him in oppression. Now lastly, what truly brings freedom from contempt? What brings peace from war? And the answer is sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of the Son. We're going to go there. Uh, Read verse 5 with me. For the yoke of His burden and the staff for His shoulder, the rod of His oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Sorry, that was verse 4. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel as fuel for the fire. So the text tells us about war. It says that every boot that is trampled in battle, every cloak that had blood spilled on it will no longer exist. It'll be burned up in a fire. Now how do you stop a war? There are two ways. You can stop a war by fighting the war like many countries uh, have done in the past. You can drop the bigger bomb or shoot the larger gun. Uh, But there's another way to bring peace. Uh, There's another way to stop the war, and that is through sacrifice. The reason uh, there are these fours in the text, four to us a child is born, four to us a son is given, uh, is because they're connecting the ideas of the stanzas. The reason there will no longer be war is because of this child. Because he is born and because of what he will do. Who is this child who has this kind of power? The text says he has these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We read titles of deity, wonder, almighty, God, everlasting. We read that everything that is governed is governed upon his shoulders. And that with his government, there's no end, nor is there an end to peace. What human could bring such promise? What human could bring such a government? What human could bring such peace? More than this, the child will be on the throne of David. And the one who is born will uphold the throne with justice and righteousness forever. What human, what political institution can bring justice and righteousness forever? Um, The only answer is that someone who is not human, but rather God. The reason that Israel can look forward to a day without war and an eternity of peace is because the the peace will have to be purchased. It will have to be bought. But the way the peace will be bought will not be by fighting the war, but through a sacrifice. God will hand over his only begotten son so that not only Israel, but the Galilee of the nations can have peace. So what does this have to do with contempt? It has everything to do with contempt. Don't you see that Israel was in contempt? Remember, contempt means that place of shame or dishonor because of their sin. They were cast into darkness under the Assyrians. There was no peace for Israel. 
How was there to be peace unless it came from outside themselves? So the Israelites too, even in the midst of their own war, looked forward to the coming of a Savior, to the coming of a child. And so we, as we wrestle with either self-contempt or contempt for others, we remember the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, which brings us peace. That while we hated our brother or a sister, while we held him or her in contempt, while that was happening, then Jesus died for us. That while we hated ourselves, kept ourselves in contempt, then he died for us. Now the application is clear. Do you have contempt for yourself or another person? The way forward is not fighting. It's sacrifice. And that includes not fighting ourselves, not thinking that if I just try harder, I'll be worthy of being loved. It's remembering that if Jesus loved me while I was in contempt, while I was in darkness, while I was in sin, I can love my brother or sister when they sin against me. I can love myself if I fall short of my own expectations. I don't have to say those bad things to myself because who I am is wrapped up in the love of Jesus, in his sacrifice. Or I can take the sin of the person who hurt me and rather than let it weigh me down and oppress me, I can cast it upon the Lord and I can forgive. And then and only then, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, which allows me to forgive, then there can be peace. I want you to imagine a husband and a wife. They're in a fight. Maybe they both feel insecure They both feel like their spouse doesn't love them. They both feel contempt for the other. They they feel like they have to keep on fighting until they're heard or understood, and they become louder and harsher with their words. Now, in this situation, one spouse remembers the gospel. That although maybe my spouse has sinned against me, and maybe I won't be hurt, I can take the pain and the suffering, and I can put it, upon Jesus. I don't have to be heard because I have one who hears me, who knows me, who can take the pain, the contempt I cannot bear because of his sacrifice. And then I'm empowered to listen and I'm empowered to have peace with my spouse. Imagine two people in church who've hurt each other's feelings. I don't have to allow his or her action to destroy me I can forgive without them saying they're sorry because I remember that Jesus hung on the cross while I was a sinner, while I was in contempt. So I can be gracious with the way that people in church fail me because God was gracious with me through the sacrifice of Christ. Now, I'm not saying in either situation uh, that both parties should not do the hard work of reconciliation. Uh, But the first step of this is someone's got to remember the gospel. Someone has to take the first step. Jesus made that first step. Peace is made through sacrifice, not more war. Through one person in the relationship remembering the gospel, looking to the sacrifice of Christ, and laying down his or her own desires on behalf of the other. Church, the way we are going to be transformed from contempt to glory is only by Jesus. 
we think for a moment we can drag ourselves out of the darkness, fight by our own strength, or stop a war with anything less than sacrifice, we're headed for more darkness. But if and only if we look to the light of Jesus, to, be the, to the strength of Jesus, to the sacrifice of Jesus, we will be free from contempt, self-contempt or contempt of other people. So this Christmas season, as we begin Advent, as you reflect on the coming of Christ, and of, if things come up and there's difficulty in relationships or the holidays or work or whatever you find yourself, whatever situation you find yourself, remember the Savior is coming. He's coming to earth in the weakness of an infant to hang on the cross, but God will use the weakness of the cross to bring about the resurrection of Christ. Freedom from contempt and shame. God will use our weakness, even our contempt, and transform us for his glory. Uh, Lastly, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you struggle with contempt or shame, if you struggle with your own sin and you wonder where is their freedom, then this message is for you. Christmas is for you. Go to Christ and he will free you from contempt and shame forever. Let's pray.